0: Right, guys welcome into your friday november 4th episode this is jake burns of the obr film breakdown i appreciate you joining us especially off of last uh last episode where we couldn't quite uh, i mean it was me I, I couldn't quite complete that episode had some stuff going on with life and had to uh, get it figured out so uh, good thing is i'm i'm able to do one tonight and we can go through our usual episode with jared mueller so excited to welcome jared in what's up jared how are you man you know, I
1: am I'm loving life. It's uh warm in November, so you know I'm gonna take it.
0: We'll take it. It is extremely it's extremely nice. We spent some time outside tonight. It's uh it's like perfect room temperature outside. So you take advantage of these while we have them because this late in the year, it's usually not uh it's a, it's at least in the 40s or 50s, right? And we're getting some of these nights are sitting in the low 60s, which is a little bit crazy. So yeah, take advantage of those. But we're here to talk Browns, and that means we need to. Yuck it up a little bit on this 32 13 win an abnormal situation Jared for the Browns to win this comfortably they haven't done so since they ran into the Bengals last year I believe week nine they beat them 41 to 16 so is it just the Bengals jerseys like what is it about the Bengals (laughs) that are giving the Browns these confidence uh, these 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 realms of confidence that we haven't seen when they play anybody else. You know, I think it's really interesting. I, I'm not that impressed with Zach Taylor, to be very honest with
1: you. Obviously I loved the offense when they extended
0: him. Oh, it was great, uh, right? Like uh-huh. you're like, wait,
1: you're gonna go ahead and do that. It, yeah. it and honestly, I'm kind of excited for the Steelers to have a really high draft pick and not draft a quarterback next year, right? Like, Oh, we just drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. So we'll just go ahead and pass on, you know, this, what's supposed to be a better group. Uh, You know, just some of those things that just get you really excited. The offensive line is terrible in Cincinnati. Um, You know, I think obviously T Higgins and Tyler Boyd are really good as two and threes, not great as a number one. They really don't have the tight end. You know, Hayden Hurst is fine. Uh, And then they just don't really use Joe Mixon in ways that I, I feel like he's talented enough to be. They just haven't really used him, especially against the Browns. That could be the offensive line versus, you know, that that length and strength of Garrett and Clowney and Taven Bryan. But it, there is something there. And I think at this point we have to believe, whether it has been in the past, we pretty sure now know the Browns are in Joe Burrow's head. One way or another. If you just watch him against Cleveland, you'd be like This guy might get replaced. You watch him against a bunch of other teams. You're like, this guy might be a top five
0: quarterback. Uh, There's really no in between compared to those two. I very much agree. I don't. I mean, the the defensive line got after him, but they he was really he shook. There was this this um, this video that was out there. I don't know if you saw it a while back, where he was in a press conference and someone like coughed. And he jumped. Did you see that one where he like I Joe's always been very cool criminal. So I, I don't I don't want to, like, get out in front of saying that, that Joe can't handle. But I mean, they were they were after him. And what was amazing to me, and this is just, you know, getting to the root of why this is sometimes is not the easiest thing in the world. But like that he wherever he was looking, the Browns seemed to have somebody there in position to make him uncomfortable with that read and that has just not happened enough since the start of the season and some man but a lot more uh open coverages but a lot of cover three a lot of cover three is what gave joe some trouble so i mean it's like was it cincinnati's game plan in terms of what they're expecting when they're expecting it and they dialed up their coverage beaters it just didn't align i'm not totally sure but there was a ton of dump offs i think I mean, I think Mixon had what? Did did he have seven catches that were all just little dump offs of the like bat? There was not three yards yet. at a time. <laughs> yeah, there was not much to be had. So, so really, it was interesting to see somebody with from a game plan perspective kind of struggle against these guys because we really haven't seen quarterbacks very confused most of the time. Quarterbacks are dropping back this season. It's oh, first reads open, got it, throw it right. We're so frustrated for Miles because it feels like. There's just no time for him to get there, and he'll make a quick move. And even when he makes a quick move, somebody's sort of in the in the quarterback's line of sight where he needs to be. So, I I mean, I don't have a great answer. I know people come to this pod for great answers on how they <laughs> took it away, but it just felt like the drops they had, whether it was three deep, four under, or four deep, three under, it was where players were supposed to be most of the night. They didn't really get challenged vertically much either, Jared. Well, and and so I, I don't want to make this a... Uh, uh this on Joe Burrow, but
1: I've never thought he's got the strongest arm in the world. I've thought a lot of his uh, deep balls have all been, you know, three-step, five-step, quick, let it go, timing, rhythm, and, you know, with Higgins and with Chase, wide receivers who can go up and get the ball, uh, who are really good in contested catches catches and those kind of things. When you don't have that, it kind of constricts the field, and they just did not have that. And I think the other thing I wonder, and I know three in Stefanski's first year, I know that they had what was considered a playoff playbook. Um, more I've heard is that they do kind of hold things out for certain teams um, or try to show certain things in certain coverages in certain games, hoping they can use that kind of as a as a thing to set up for later and for what teams are seeing on the film and all that kind of stuff which is fine if it works. Right. But uh, sometimes it feels like you're trying to be the smartest person in the room, at least against Cincinnati. I think you did see, even though the coverages were similar, you know, I think you saw some rolled up corners going into cover three versus off man, you know, off corners into cover three, some of that kind of stuff. I think you saw some different things that really kind of screwed with Joe Burrow and then some more adjustments. So again, good job by Joe Woods. Good job by that defensive line. Uh, and then obviously the offense, Cincinnati has some players. Hendrickson's got a back issue. Sam Hubbard is a fine player. Um, you know, obviously Jesse Bates, I think, is a really good safety, but they pretty much used him at the line of scrimmage a lot. Mm-hmm. So they took advantage of all that.
0: Yeah, well, they to your point, they do deserve credit. And I talked about this on on the comprehensive uh all twenty-two review. They did go coverage mix up on him. They went some open mm-hmm. to closed. They they moved people around their secondary and they were the least predictable from the secondary perspective as I have seen them. Now, does that mean that they were, you know, some teams that have been running the ball so well on them, you really don't want to roll a safety up from depth because that's too late, right? Like right. we need an extra guy to gap out. We need you down here pre-snap. Well, they did some of that and rolled out of it. And then they were doing a lot of stuff where they wanted to get an extra guy into the run fit from depth and rolling him down because, the you know, the gun stuff doesn't necessarily hit as quick and you can, you can do some more reading as you're approaching the line of scrimmage. So like, I think that they did to your point, which again, I've met, I've, I've talked about, they did give him some muddied pictures, which is an, a welcome sight. And that kind of takes us to our first topic, which is John Johnson wearing the green dot, right? It's simple. I mean, he wore, he wore it last game too, because you got to understand, well, all you have to do to figure out who's wearing the green dot, you can either go online and find a picture during the game and see the dot on his helmet, which is one very simple way to do it or you can just look at snap counts. The guy who's wearing the communication device just doesn't come off the field. Like you can't, you can have two of them. Uh, You know, technically they've done that before this year, but they really don't like to do that because then you're getting two voices and, you know, coming on and off the, you want one consistent communicator. Now I think the easy question to ask though here, Jared is why, if, if John has been pretty decent at it and their, their best stretches of football have come in late last year and, And this year when he's been out there with the communication device, what's the pro? like even the Baltimore game, I didn't think they played bad and they were certainly where they needed to be held them to under hundred yard passing net wise. So like, what's the deal? Like, I wonder, I would love to know from Joe Woods why he doesn't feel inclined to give it to John. I guess like he has a preference to have linebackers wearing it until he just can't anymore. Right. Like that's the only guess I have. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's really seems like it's it. Like, Partially, and I think that makes some sense, right? You want your linebacker is in the middle of the defense. He can communicate to the defensive line. He can communicate to the safeties and cornerbacks. Like it's just philosophically, it seems like obviously that makes sense. A lot of middle linebackers have the green dot across the board. Um, And so if John Johnson wants to make an adjustment, he's got to yell to the linebackers who need to yell to the defensive line and hopefully get a cornerback to turn around to look at him. Or he has to kind of be in that middle and then get into depth if he's going to be that deep safety. So I think it's just some pragmatic kind of things. But I, it seems like with John Johnson, when he's got the green dot, he's more engaged, right? He's more bought in. He more trusts what the call is or because he gets to call or to switch it, you know, depending on what the options are. It just seems like he's more comfortable. And I think when John Johnson is, is playing well, um,
0: that's really kind of important to the defense. I would agree with that. And it seemed like it was not just John's communication that has been better. It would appear that a lot of guys have been overall better communicating. seems like Grant Delbert's doing a better job back there. Like, I don't know. I don't have the magic serum on this, but, but but it could be as simple as the voice coming from John or whatever is just, it's leading to better general communication. I, I really don't know if that's That shouldn't be the case because it seems like everybody should be locked in, checked into what they're doing. But it certainly felt like for whatever reason, and maybe John is just a more engaged player when he's got that role. I'm not sure. I know he had it in his time in L.A. Staley was very vocal about trusting him with that. Like it's uh, it's out there. So but again, I don't I don't know what the secret serum is here. I I really don't. But if this is the case and you have a bunch of evidence that says, well, we seem to play a little bit better defense when this guy has the communication device. You might just want to give them the communication device and just make it the normal thing. Right. Because it's yeah. it's could just be something I, I mean, it, you shrug your shoulders at. It doesn't make any real sense, but the results are sort of speaking for themselves. Right, man.
1: Yeah. Like, again, it goes back to some of the concerns I have with some of their analytical approach, just because things make sense from a data perspective or a simple perspective like we just talked about, which isn't really data, but just because it makes sense doesn't mean it matters, right? If someone's good as a play caller, someone's a good linebacker, a good defensive tackle, it doesn't matter that they didn't grade out in a certain way or didn't measure in a certain way, all of that. Like, you're good or you're not good kind of thing. So, yeah, it doesn't make
0: sense, but it works, so let's stick with it. Let's stick with it. I think they should at least continue to try it, and I feel like they will – because there's a little bit of shuffling going on in the, in the interior linebacker scenario. So we're going to dive into that in just a minute and um, talk about some guys who showed up really well unexpectedly. We'll be right back.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data,
0: Okay, so the, you know Dion Jones plays the majority of the of the Mike linebacker snaps in this thing, right? Because um, you know Phillips is is now out, and some other little changes tweaks are happening. But you know you don't you would you would ask the question why doesn't Deion Jones wear the communication device? Well, he's new, right? There's a lot of wrinkles. He's new. He's trying to figure out his role. Let alone talking other people <laughs> through their role. So um, with Dion being new, they played Jordan Kunisik in there a little bit too. Uh, it seems like Taki Taki has a real chance to play more linebacker. Now the question is. You know, in this game, Dion and and Kunisik played Mike, and and Taki Taki was a full-on will. Well, the will is J.O.K., so I think J.O.K. is a pretty damn good linebacker. I don't want to really remove him from that role, but they seem to have a couple guys who can do that, but I don't think they view Taki, or at least his ability to play that role consistently, as an inside linebacker. But, you know, I don't think the things they're asking the Mike to do are incredibly different it's just a little bit more middle drop instead of curl flat drop. But I mean, I have a hard time thinking the way, especially the way talk played that they, they just want to remove him from the equation. You know, they, they play a ton of nickel and they're a four two five by nature. That means only two linebackers can see the field, but man, coming up on the end of his contract, I'd really want to see what he can do to kind of, is there a way to put, you know, as your long-term group here, at least the next three to four years, can you find a way to get Sione on the field? alongside JOK okay somehow, right? Because you, you, the, there's something there, man. He's playing well enough. And we like him as a Sam linebacker, which is the third linebacker who comes in in base. But I want to see more of him. But I, I wonder, do they feel between JOK okay and uh, Sione that there is a guy who can play Mike? And that's the ultimate question here, right? It is. I think... It'll be interesting. Uh, Sione talked about playing Mike a little bit
1: in an interview with Cami Justice. Um, I haven't done my all 22 or anything like that to to really say, yes, he was or wasn't. I think he is such an interesting player that he seems to know where he needs to be and he's not trying to do too much. And there's times we've talked about it on here in our burning questions. It's, there's times where it feels like that's the defense's biggest problem is people trying to do too much. What I think could be really interesting is, and again, obviously it's still a linebacker, but maybe it's more about alignment. It, do they allow JOK to kind of take some of Ronnie Harrison's snaps, right? Or even some of Grant Delpit's snaps, even though he'll still be kind of in that linebacker role, uh, but his responsibilities might be more about what that third safety or even second safety is doing at times so that you can see all three on the field or you get, listen, I don't, Deion Jones did fine. Uh, it doesn't, I'll just be honest, it looks like his shoulder really isn't there uh, to really be a, a highly functional uh, no, it's, it's linebacker. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's not going to be there for him. Yeah, so, but doesn't mean you can't take advantage of, you know, his intelligence, his aggressiveness, all that stuff. I just think you you need to see a little bit more of a rotation now. And I think Taki Taki is a player who, you're exactly right, he was used as a Sam, and so he's not on the field very much. He doesn't get a chance to really get a feel for the defense or the offense blocking scheme, some of that kind of stuff. You put him in a few more snaps and he graded out really, really well on Monday night football. And I think he played well. I didn't look at the grades. I think he played well the week before as well in the snaps that he got. So you've got to be able to find space for players who are making plays. And until this team is out of it, they cannot play with only the future in their mind. Uh, neither Takitaki or Jones have uh, a year left on their contract. They're both free agents at the end of the year. So figure out what you got there while playing the player who's playing the best.
0: Yeah, especially when you want to see if he's a second contract guy, because to me, his ability to do multiple things, play multiple positions and have some versatility is really worthwhile here. So I I just would like to see if he can do more. And it feels like there's a there's a real case for him being able to do more. And um Go ahead. And I I would also say for me, one of my biggest con- or one of my concerns with Andrew
1: Barry is he often turns over the special teams as if it doesn't matter. But Taki Taki has been an important part of that. You know, I think he's been in 66% of those snaps or in the sixties pretty much all of his career. And so a second contract player who can give you some linebacker snaps, but is just an important part of special teams. Like there is value there. I know you can't have a lot of those guys, but there is value in paying for somebody who is a
0: consistent special teams contributor? I would agree. I would very much agree. So eyes are on Taki to see what he's going to do. Um, you know, unless they, I don't know how. See, different defenses label different things different ways. Taki was consistently the guy who worked opposite the nickel, so he didn't travel with right. the nickel. To me, that's a will, but they could name it something different. But he was opposite the 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 travel of the pass strength. So they, like I said, they could name that something different. I've just always known Dion to be a Mike and. Um, that's sort of where he's been lining up. But again, I don't know. It's a, I don't have Joe Wood's playbook. There's a big debate going on on Twitter today about publicity of playbooks. Uh, I think John, John Stephenson is probably the guy to ask about that. But a couple of people I've asked, it's like, well, you typically send your mic on two linebacker sets. You send your mic with the will. Uh, sorry, send the mic with the nickel and then the will's the backside linebacker. I don't know. But uh, nonetheless, he's playing more. So he's either playing Mike or will and he's he's giving him He's giving them uh, something to talk about, which is to me what they needed. They needed guys like that to step up. And obviously, you got Isaiah Thomas stepping up too. And I can't really put into words how badly they need <laughs> Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas to be rota- like serious players. Like the, the end goal for me is can Wright be a professional rotation edge? He's flashing a little bit, putting some good things on tape. And you need Alex Wright to eventually become a starter. You know, like you need third round guys to become a starter. So they're giving him some different looks, they're giving Thomas. More opportunity, and that was like it wasn't like they didn't have their top two guys, so they're out there playing right because Clowney is not exactly lighting the world on fire right now as he's sort of battling through the injuries that he's had to battle through with that ankle and so on. So it's exciting. I'm encouraged by those guys. Are you two? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know obviously what they want across from Miles
1: Garrett is what Alex Wright hopefully can be is what Genevieve and Clowney is big, long, strong, going to hold the edge, going to push the pocket. Not really a bend the edge kind of guy. And so Alex Wright really is kind of that backup. And it's really helpful that Isaiah Thomas is actually playing well, because you can think of the hope we all had uh, in getting Chase Winovich. Then we should have remembered somehow they got that player for Mac Wilson. So you shouldn't have a lot of expectations for the player you got for Mac Wilson. Uh, Winovich has obviously done little to nothing uh, for the team. So Isaiah Thomas, you know, kind of taking over that Tack McKinley role, uh, it's really necessary to have someone to get off the edge and almost all of us were like wait Mac wait that was not Miles Garrett who got that sack yeah that was that was not I mean I didn't even care who it actually was it's was like that's not Miles Garrett like I could have assumed for sure that was him the way everything looked on that sack by Isaiah Thomas
0: yeah I could I could have too I mean like I went back and rewatched it in live I thought it was and then when I first watched it on all 22, I felt the same as well. So that's encouraging. You just need more of it. I think the Browns have had, though, I think we could all say they've had uh, snaps of encouragement from some of these guys over the years, but it's about we need these guys to go from encouraging snaps to some consistent snaps. That's what you need desperately at this point. So, uh, again, yeah. I can't I can't be all too grumpy with the defense, though, the past two weeks. It feels like they could be taking some steps in the right direction, so I think we should be a little bit encouraged. we're going to talk about the just how encouraged we are coming out of the break here um, about expectations the rest of the way. So we will take one more short break, and we'll be right back.
2: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done
0: so they get to 3 and 5 obviously huge win everyone wants to feel great about this team the question is jared should we feel great about this team right that's the that's the key <laughs> question because they They did win a game. Now, now again, there's two ways to look at this, right? There's the frame of mind, which it's too little, too late. You've lost some games in the beginning of the season you shouldn't have lost, and this three-game stretch is brutal, which it is. I mean, it really is. You never know what you're going to get with Tampa Bay. Any Tom Brady team could kick it up at any minute, but the other two teams are putting electric offenses on the field, along with Buffalo playing extremely good defense paired with that. So it's going to be challenging. Where do your expectations sit? as they push toward the buy and come out of the buy. And I know we'll maybe talk a little more next week too, but I just, is this the sort of game where this is who the Browns can be? This is what they can look like when they play complimentary football, but we should also understand that they're still sort of capped. Or do you think this is a sign that these guys are ready to start putting it together and, and win a game or two here in the next three that you weren't expecting? You know, for me, it's a combination of this game
1: the Chargers game and the Ravens game, you put all three of those together and that's where you can look and go, well, there might be something here. Right. And that's what I think is different about this than some of the other times where you might get kind of hopeful. This is a team that has competed again. I don't not saying the Chargers and Ravens are, you know, blow the doors off of the, the rest of the world, but I think both of those teams, the Browns were, were really competitive in those games. They should have beaten uh, the Chargers, they could have beaten the Ravens, like those are two games that give me confidence when you put this Cincinnati game on top of it. It's a team that should be six and two, five, and three isn't they're three and five, they are what they are, uh but this game piled onto those two losses again, games that they could have won or should have won, gives me a lot of confidence that they will be competitive. Does that mean they're gonna win? I don't know, but unfortunately we live in a world where winning and losing looks a little bit different depending on just little things here and there. And so all I can care about is that they are competitive and as a competitive team, that's the most I can hope for. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at with it is they will be competitive. Uh, I think they'll actually be slightly competitive against Buffalo, whether they win or not, I think is hard to say, given everything we've seen, given the talent on the other team, right? The other team is on, as they say, the other team is on scholarship too, right? Like that's just the reality. And those are some really well coached um, and quality teams. But I think the hope should be up that they can compete, that they can win those next three games. Doesn't mean they will. But I don't think we should be surprised if they go two and one in
0: those games, and maybe even be surprised by which team they lose to and which two teams they beat. Yeah, I don't think I'll be surprised by any outcome in the next three because, you know, at the heart of it, these are three pretty good football teams, and could they lose to them? Of course. But the one thing that I think is everybody has been so down on this group, which I get it—they were two and five entering last week—is they haven't really been blown out. I mean, the New England game. Yep. Was a game that that just they were in it, they were fighting, and then they dropped the punt, and you you know you get it. But like, they were in that game until late, and it got goofy at the end. But every single game they've been in with a legitimate argument for should you know having won two of them in my opinion. So it's like this team is they're very competitive, they're very competitive, and they play with everybody. It seems I've not, and I talk about this. There are plenty of teams across the league, one in this division with a similar record in Pittsburgh who's they've won a couple games but they've been blown out of several like they they're just not competitive. And that's not the situation with the Browns. They're competitive with everybody. So it's hard to see them just getting blown out. Like if that happens, it'll be a major tip of the cap, but they have not let that really really happen to them this year. So I, I do too kind of with you in the terms of I, I'm not I'm not saying they're going to win all these games or or anything. I'm not even saying they're going to go 2 and 1, but they have a legitimate shot here uh, much better than I think people want to give them credit for. So to me, I mean, I'm not telling you again, like I told you before the Cincinnati game, I'm not telling you to get your hopes up or anything, but like (laughs) they seem to be a pretty competitive football team. And, and to me that matters right now. It, it, It matters that they're in these games fighting and scrapping because they're really trying to, and I know season over season stuff, it doesn't always carry over like that doesn't miss me, but they are trying to build something here with the coach the players and all of that going into a season in 23, which we all view as pretty important and a group of characters that will mostly be back. So I do want to see them remaining competitive. I think Andrew Barry had his press conference the other day, and I don't know if you paid all too close attention to that one, Jared, but I was wondering if anything came out of it that stood out to you, his sort of mid-season pulse check. It's funny to me that people would think he wouldn't be start, the Deshaun Watson wouldn't be the starting quarterback <laughs> when he comes back. And, and that's they're saying the exact right things. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, kudos to him. He's played extremely well. Probably I can't say probably. It is more than any of us expected. He's done he's done far better than anybody expected, but but the job is not up for grabs. Like they've the vestments it's too high. Like I think people were just looking for a a quote there that sounds like, oh maybe, you know, and I and that's just that's just was never going to be the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that obviously surprised me is that he was very honest about the fact that they tried to make a deal to acquire a player and that they were close or whatever terminology he used and and just couldn't kind of come to the to the right agreement Uh, a lot of us have made maybe some assumptions or some educated guess that it was uh, Brandon Cooks I don't think that's actually accurate uh, just from some conversations as well as just looking at his contract like unless Cooks was willing to do redo some stuff I don't think he's really the receiver they need Donovan Peoples-Jones Amari Cooper David Njoku like they they would more want an Elijah Moore kind of slot quick guy uh, who could also maybe return some kicks. So that was really the biggest thing that surprised me. I felt like, in, in general, I felt like he answered more questions than he normally does or yeah. gave more depth than he normally does. Uh, but he still is not going to say a lot. He never has. Him and Stefanski always sound the same, which is considered consistency and stability when they're winning. And boring, frustrating... And robotic when they're losing, so but I did feel like he answered things a little bit more detailed. I think he pushed back. Uh, Tony Grossi asked a question about being five and 10 in the last 15 games, and he was like, Yeah, but you could break down anything the way you know you could cut that off in wherever way you want to cut it off. So I think he pushed back a little bit on some of the questions. He, you know, he reinforced and encouraged uh Kevin Stefanski and his role and what he's doing both as head coach and a play caller. So um in ways that were more meaningful than that's our coach, right? It was yeah it was meaningful and telling that they really do and I something I know for sure is they have really believed this is a player issue both on special teams and defense. They feel like the players have not been doing what they're coached to do. They've been putting themselves in poor positions and they have been making bad decisions, then they needed to fix that. It's why you haven't seen any coaching changes. Um, and at some level, it's why you didn't see some major overhaul because they believe they have the talent. They just need to get it right. So I think what you saw
0: from Andrew Barry was kind of all of that kind of wrapped up. I do too. It was it was very much a confidence in a lot of people that people want to frame it as, uh, as, as dicey. I, I guess my question would be, the guy that we're all sort of have thought might be walking the borderline here is Joe Woods. And um, do you think he's coach? Let's put it this way. Do you think he's coaching for his job the rest of the way? Like that to me is an interesting sort of question because they've played well the last two weeks. If they're bad on defense, the rest of the way, do you think he is a guy that is potentially out? I do. If, if the players are not responding
1: I think we got to remember that a lot of what is decided, not every detail, but the game plan is decided as a group, right? Uh, Andrew Berry's a part of that. Dee Podesta, um, you know, whoever is involved with Stefanski, all of that. So a lot of what they're doing off man and cover three and all that, like that's that's a group decision. But if he's not getting the players to respond, right, it may not be that he is bad, but it is much easier to change one than it is to change five right? Five players and find all that. So I do think he's coaching for his job from that perspective. Not really in the, are they giving up some points and that kind of stuff, but is he getting the players to be bought in? Are they learning? Are they developing? And if we see that with Martin Emerson and, and Wright And
0: Thomas, like we talked about already, I think you're just going to see it. They're going to run it back again. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I I mean, they just want cons. I feels like above all else, there's this vibe of we want consistency and we don't want knee jerk reactions. I I just think that that's the the vibe, and um, that might. I've been vocal that I would replace Joe Woods, and I still sort of sit there uh, at this point. But they, they, again, that's why you got to really appreciate having come from what the Browns have come from, where they would never do that. Uh, and it feels like they would have maybe fired Joe Woods with pre- previous setups. Like, I, I think that they're trying like hell here to have some consistency. And it might it might irk some people, but their goal here is to keep people around, keep faces around and keep some consistency. So I think while I was on like the 80-20 train in terms of Woods won't be brought back, um, I'm let I'm I maybe moved about. because there's a lot of football left and there's a lot of mistakes (laughs) that can happen between now and then but like um, if they can put performances together like we just saw right that's that's the key that's the total key it is and the other thing to think about and again it's so easy to say but
1: but hard to really kind of get your your hands on is if they recover an onside kick from the Jets and if Cade York makes his field goal against the Chargers the Browns are five and three and you're wondering, is the defense going to be good enough the rest of the way or, or in the playoffs? Like the conversation is literally different. And yeah. Not that everybody's going, yeah, Joe Woods is awesome. None of that. But the conversation is literally different based on two kicks that Joe Woods had nothing to do with. Now he could have, obviously things could have gone differently in other ways, but it's, it's hard to get our hands on, but it's so important to realize just how razors edge, things are unless you are just overloaded like the Buffalo Bills. Even some of the Kansas City Chiefs years, it was just Patrick Mahomes, 45 to 43, 41, whatever. And they still were winning. So it didn't matter. Over here, you don't have a Patrick Mahomes yet. So you're not winning or you're missing simple things on special teams or you don't have Jakeem Grant and fire Joe Woods is is an option, right? So Again, we're just
0: so results-oriented. It's not a bad thing. It's just important to remember. It is important to remember. Some good perspective to have here. Jared, good show, good uh, good slew of questions here going into the buy. I'm sure we'll get together next week and sort of status check some of the positions and expectations versus reality and all of that. So we'll link up again. Good wrap up here to uh, week eight, and then we will dive into some fun stuff in the bye week, week nine. I appreciate your time and your insight, my friend. Absolutely, brother.
1: You take care of yourself as always.
0: YouTube brother. Well, we will uh, check back, like I said, with Jared later in the week. We still have Jordan and John to come up over the weekend uh, into early next week. We'll get to everybody we normally get to. I appreciate you guys being patient, hanging out uh, with us today, patient on yesterday's episode and understanding of some stuff going on in my life. Always appreciate that stuff. And you guys, again, continuing to check out the OBR, the pod, and Twitch and all of that as well. So we'll get Chalk Talk on Tuesday of next week, where we go back and look at the Cincinnati game and all of the Fun stuff they did to mess with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So thanks again, guys, for being here, hanging out. Have a fantastic Friday. Enjoy the weather while you can. Bill Browns.